Amen. Amen. Somebody say praise the Lord. Uh-huh. So this morning I'm going to preach a message called Some Assembly Required. Uh, all the ladies don't get too upset at your husbands just right yet. We're, I'm not talking about that dining room patio furniture he hasn't put together yet. Um, I'm actually going to talk about life and I'm going to talk about the things that we go through that doesn't always appear to be God's plan. I've been reading a lot about the disciples. The disciples fascinate me. And, and let me tell you why, because it's not what you think. It's not Peter walking on the water, and it's not even their failures. But what fascinates me is that when God sent Jesus on the most important mission in the history of the world, he didn't send him with an army of angels with him. He, he didn't assemble uh, a regiment of the Old Testament saints that was tried and true and, and dedicated. He didn't send Abraham and Moses and Noah. He, no, when he sent Jesus to earth to do the most important mission in human history, he let Jesus choose who he wanted as his team. And that seems like a very honorable thing. But the more I read through the New Testament the more I am amazed at the patience of Jesus Christ. Because I'm going to tell you something. I would have threw some of these brothers off the boat. When, when you read this story, I'm amazed at the grace of God. One of the arguments that I have had to field more than any other as a pastor and even as a Christian when you witness to people is they, they, they want to talk about heaven and hell. And one of the questions they ask about is, how can a loving God send anybody to hell? I'm going to tell you what a better question is when I read about the disciples. I don't know how any of us make it. Because he is holy and he can't accept anything into his presence except perfection and holiness. So the better question is, why don't we all end up in hell? Because I see these disciples over and over and over again, open mouth and insert foot. And, and I mean, no matter how many things... Jesus teaches them, no matter how many things he thinks that they have finally understood, uh, no matter how many acts they watch him perform, and how many miracles they see in him, they still don't get it. They're still clueless most of the time. And when they get to the cross, almost all of them, except John, has fled, ran away, locked themselves in, in behind closed doors, and many of them never, even though they had watched everything Jesus did, Many of them never believed until after Jesus had risen from the dead and, and showed himself to them. And, and so I want to share one of those stories with you this morning. I'm going to take my text out of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. Uh -huh. and, and it's one of, these one of these stories that you know, but I want to put a, a different twist on it this morning. Because it's kind of mind-blowing to me how much the disciples seem to forget until I think about all the things he's done for me that I have a tendency to forget I, I, I want to remind you this morning that it's real easy to see things when you're not the one going through it uh, aren't you glad that everything that happens to other folks isn't happening to you. 
And aren't you glad that when God gets ready to pick people to do great things, He don't pick people the way people pick people? As a matter of fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a bold statement right in the beginning of this sermon. Sometimes the reason you think God can't use you is the very reason He chooses to use you. And that's going to be the crux of my message this morning. Because nowhere is this more evident than in the stories of the disciples. And in Mark chapter 8, it's one of these perfect examples of how flawed these brothers were. Listen to what it says. But the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. They definitely weren't Pentecostals. They weren't even Baptists. Because that's one of the first things we're going to grab if we're going on a trip is some snacks. So they passed sheets and they didn't stop and get any snacks. They only had one loaf of bread with them in the boat. Mm-hmm. So we're on a boat. Again, they've never been on a Church of God men's fishing trip either. Because we might forget our poles and we may forget the bait, but I promise you we got a cooler full of snacks when we get on that boat. As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, Watch out! Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. At this, they began to argue with each other. (laughs) Maybe they are church people. After all, maybe they are brothers in the Lord. Because now they're pointing fingers at each other. Oh, you forgot it. No, you was was responsible for snacks. I got the the boat. I I got the bait. I got the fishing license. I brought the poles. You was the one supposed to bring the snacks. They began to fight and argue with each other because everybody had forgot to bring bread. Verse 17, Jesus knew what they were saying. So he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes. <laughs> Sounds like my mama scolded me when I was a little boy. Don't you got ears? Can't you hear? Don't you remember? Now here's my third grade teacher. Don't you remember anything at all? Every day I have to teach you the same lesson I taught you yesterday. Can I, tell you, can I stop right here before we read the next scripture? I think sometimes the central question of our relationship with Jesus is, don't you remember? It's not, it's not anticipating what's happening next as much as it is remembering what he already did. Sometimes I believe that we would be much better off if we could just not think better, but remember better. Just remember what he's already done. Because I, we are so hungry, some of us are so hungry to learn something new But you don't need new revelation as much as you just need to remember what the Lord already did in your life. Verse 19 says, when I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers? Say fragments. Okay, your King James Version, your New King James Version, they use the word fragments here. It's the same difference, but I want you to remember that word fragments because I'm going to use it in my sermon this morning. How many baskets of fragments did you pick up afterwards? Twelve, they said. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of fragments or leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet? 
see, Jesus is used to, they're arguing with each other over who forgot to bring the little Debbies. This is my story. I'll tell it the way I want to. They're, they're arguing over who forgot the potato chips. And Jesus said, you don't understand anything about what I've been teaching you all this time. You're arguing over a meal right now, which is superficial. It's an immediate need. What I want you to understand, and what you should have understood by now, is that you may not have food that meets your immediate need, but as long as you have me, you've got more than enough, my God. He, he, he reminds him, he said, he said, why don't you remember that when we didn't have food before, it wasn't food we needed because I was there and I can take nothing and turn it into anything that you need. So you're always looking for the wrong source, the wrong supply, because I am always present. See, that's why I want to talk to you this morning because I can almost, I can almost hear Jesus looking at these boys and looking at me sometimes saying, why don't you get it? Why, why don't you understand the big picture? That's going to be my theme this morning because there's some assembly required. But it's the big picture that he wants us to see. He tries to get them to remember the last time they had a need. The last time they ran out of food. The last time there was hungry people and not enough provision. And he's trying to get them to make a connection between his past faithfulness and their present circumstance. He said, don't you get it? Don't you remember? But can I tell you something? Can, can, I, can I be a little easy on the disciples because I've been one? I may not have walked with Jesus when he was alive, but I am a disciple of his. And can I tell you that it is hard to see it while you're in it. Okay? You know, just like now, we look at the disciples, and it's real easy for us to judge these boys, Right? Well, oh, they should have just trusted Jesus. Uh, of course, Jesus is a mighty God, and he can meet their every need. Uh-huh. But, but it's a little different when it's your problem. It, it's a little different when uh, you're the one looking at the situation up close and personal. It, it's a little different when you're the one up under stress. Somebody say amen if you know what I'm talking about. Have you ever noticed how different things look when you look back on them? You ever noticed how much easier it seems when you look back? Why was I worried about that? Why, why did I let that keep me up at night? But it doesn't look the same when you're looking at it head on as it does when you look back. It's difficult to see the solutions when you're going through the problem. But you can see them clearly when you, when you look back. You can see how he made a way where there didn't seem to be a way. You can see that he was your calm in the middle of your storm. You can, you can see that when you were down, God was picking you up. But it is harder to see it while you're going through it than it is when you look back. That's why you can give such great advice to your teenager that you didn't take when you was one. Come on, church. You acted a fool when you was one, but now after all these years, you've got gold medal advice for them. Why? What changed? It, what changed is you're now looking. You was looking at the prom. You was looking at his cute dimples. Now you're looking 
And you know, because what you went through, you can give sage advice to somebody who has now gone through it. And the disciples are inside the story. They're not reading it 2,000 years later like you and I are. So it's easy for us to say what they should have saw and what they should have done. Uh-huh. Because you're not the one going through it. Look at your neighbor and say, you ain't going through it. Uh-huh. They're going through some stuff, but they ain't going through this. They're going through some things, but they're not going through this. So, so the disciples aren't thinking about miracles. The disciples are thinking about, we're out here in a boat and nobody brought the bologna sandwiches. Can, can, I, can I tell some of you super spiritual people that's always, that you got to pray in tongues before you buy the Fruit Loops or the Apple Jacks? Can I help you a minute? Most of your life is not lived in the spiritual. Most of your life is clocking in and clocking out. Pushing a lawnmower. Most of your life is washing dishes. Most of your life is figuring out how did the laundry basket get full again. <laughs> Somebody bore witness. I heard a mama out there somewhere say, hey man, praise Jesus. So see, most of your life is, is, is spent doing mundane things. Not super spiritual things. So when these disciples are in need of a Miracle, they don't always know they're in need of a miracle because what they're really needing is a sandwich. And you don't always think about needing a miracle when you just need something simple. And what Jesus was trying to get them to understand is you're always worried about small, simple things because you're not thinking that even your simplest needs has the same answer as your miracles. And so once you see how the story ends, you get the big picture. You get the big picture. But when you're living through Mark chapter 8, you don't know how it's going to turn out. The disciples had only seen the fragments. They had not saw the whole picture. So when Jesus is talking to them, he did not show them everything at one time. Let me help you. When you study scripture, when you go to seminary and you take Bible classes, theologians have this, have this uh, theme called progressive revelation, which means you see a little bit, and then God shows you a little bit more, and then God shows you a little bit more, and then God shows you a little bit more. You say, why don't God show me everything up front? Well, because God don't want to heal you from heart attacks. Go back and read the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, and you'll find out that God said, even if, even if I showed it to you, you would not believe what I have in store for you. Look back over the course of your last 12 months. Look back over the course of your last decade. Had God showed you at the beginning of the year what the year was going to hold for you, you would die of a heart attack because you wouldn't think you were tough enough to go through it. That's why God doesn't show you except what he needs to show you. He gives you a little bit and then a little more and then a little more because you don't think you can handle the big picture. So God gives it to you in fragments. He gives it to you in pieces. But here's the problem. Because we think God gives us this big picture for our life. You know, what living a Christian life is supposed to look like. What marriage is supposed to look like. What mortgages are supposed to look like. What raising kids is supposed to look like. And you get this big picture and that's what you expect. And then you find out there's parts missing. 
And can I tell you the problem with most of us? We focus on what's missing, and we miss what's possible. I remember when we decided as a family that we were going to follow what we believed God's will was and move to pastor this church. Most everybody that is in this room right now, you know a completely different church than the one that we moved here to pastor. There's only a few of you sitting here that was here 21 years ago when we came. And God has been good to us. And everything that we have here is because he has been good to us. We have seen literally thousands of lives changed through this church. And it's easy when you're sitting in here on Sunday morning to look back and see that it was God's will for us to pack up our house and move a mobile home 350 miles. It's easy when you're standing on this side to see that God had plans for this church all along. But when you're standing on the other side of it, dare I say, when you're still in the boat, things look different. When God calls you to come and pastor a church and he tells you you can't work a secular job and there's no money at the church, things look different from inside the boat. When you're sitting here 21 years later and you see what God has done and you see the people God has brought, you say, this is a great plan God had. But when you're in the boat, the plan looks different. It's a much scarier plan that the disciples are having to deal with. I told a story a couple Sundays back about when I first came and I was standing out in the parking lot talking to some of the brothers after church. And I was telling them that eventually we was going to need more room because uh, we, were gonna, uh, we weren't have enough space for the cars to park. We wouldn't have enough space in the sanctuary. Mind you now, at the time I said this, you could put all the people we had in one of the fellowship rooms. You could put all the cars that parked there uh, on the street I said we was going to need more room for the children you could put all the children we had in a broom closet and one of the brothers looked at me and said you're not realistic and I didn't get mad at him for saying it because I knew I could see something he couldn't see because he was looking at what was missing and I was looking at what was possible y'all not going to help me this morning let me begin this morning by saying this. You see exactly what you train yourself. If all you ever see is the negative and what's missing and what you don't have and what you are lacking, the reason you only see those things is because you have trained yourself to look for those things. They were looking at what was missing. They looked in the cooler and said, John forgot the bologna sandwiches. Jesus said, who do you think I am? I'm right here. Why can't you remember the last time we didn't have enough food and the time before that when we didn't have enough? Why are you so beat out and up and fighting and arguing with each other over who forgot to bring the Oscar Mayer? Why are you so beat up over something so simple when I am here? You're forgetting who's on the boat with you. Ah. See, 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 what you have to learn is just because things look like there's something missing 
doesn't mean it's actually missing. It just means you haven't put it in the right place yet. There's some, there's some assembly required to your destiny. There's some assembly required to your purpose. There's some assembly required to your life. There's some assembly required to your ministry. There's some assembly required to your marriage. And it doesn't look like what you wanted it to right now. But that doesn't mean you're missing what you need. Maybe it just means you haven't put all the pieces in the right place yet. Because if all you see are the fragments, you'll stop looking to complete the picture. I don't have the right education. I'm not a good speaker. I came from a broken home. I don't know how to raise children. You know what you're focusing on? The fragments. The missing pieces. And you think, I can never see the full picture in my life because I'm missing this and I'm missing that. And we're raising a generation of people that are focused only on what they are missing. We're raising a generation of people who believe that they are victims over everything and that they can't assume responsibility for anything because everything was done against them and they're being held back and they're being distinguished against everybody else and they're being dislocated from their history and they've got all of these problems that means I can't do this because uh, mama didn't buy me a pony when I was seven. I I can't love you right because my daddy didn't love me right. And and they're looking at the fragments and the pieces and everything that's missing and they stop trying to complete the picture because all they can think about is what they're missing. I'm going to help you because if all you ever look at is the fragments you will stop trying to build the picture because all you'll think about is what you don't have. Can I tell you, can I just be transparent? I have never one day in my life felt prepared to be a pastor. Some of you may not want to come back after this sermon. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. I don't always like people. I don't. Look at me in that tone of voice if you want to. I love people. I want everybody to go to heaven, but I don't always like people. And sometimes I got to fake it till I make it. Because there are times as a pastor, I got to look at people and say, why are you still whining over that? Why don't you grow up? Why are you on Facebook talking that mess? Why don't you become more like Jesus? What is wrong with you? I told you, some of y'all might not want to come back out of this sermon. I've never one day felt prepared to be a pastor. And I'm going to tell you something else. Or I felt ready to be a pastor. I'm going to tell you something else. I've also never felt ready to preach a message. I'm preaching now, and I'm going to, as soon as church is over, I'm getting in my truck, and I'm going five hours south, and I'm going to preach for a good friend of mine tonight at 630. Uh, their church is going through. He's going through uh, hell on earth. He, he, he's, his life's falling apart. The church is really struggling. I'm going down to preach for them tonight, and I'm not ready. And I'm not ready to preach this message. And on the third song in my brain, I'm thinking, well, that's the third song. They're not going to sing another one. I better go say something. Now understand what I'm saying. 
I'm not telling you I don't prepare. Because I over-prepare. Because you deserve it and God deserves it. I study like nobody I know. I break things down. I, I've got plenty in me when I get up here. But I have never felt ready. And do you want to know why? Because I know the parts that are missing. I know the intelligence I wish I had. I know the wisdom that I'm lacking. I know how I wish I could have the talent that other people have. That other gifts that other people operate in. I know I don't have those things. Oh, and by the way, I also know all the mess-ups that I carry up here in me. The things where I have failed. The things where I didn't meet the mark. The things where I have let people down and I have let God down. I know all of that. And it leaves missing pieces that you don't see. But I have to deal with in real time. Standing up here. I know I have deficiencies. I know I've got missing pieces. And that's why I can preach to you this morning that you have to learn how to trust the Lord to put the right stuff together in your life. To take what you do have and provide all the things that are missing because your story has some assembly required. But you're going to need patience to build it. Let me give you an example. Very seldom do I get a sermon all at one time. I get my sermons in pieces. I probably shouldn't tell you this because some of y'all are going to be very guarded around me now. Because sometimes I'll just be sitting in the chair and I'll just be thinking about the Lord. Or maybe I'm just uh, on the internet looking at something goofy like a, two cats fighting each other. And it just happened this morning. <laughs> there's a video coming in a sermon. I don't know when, but there's a video coming in a sermon that, that was laid on me from the TikTok machine this morning. Got the wheels moving. And at some point, it's going to be up here on the screen, and you won't know it, but you'll remember. I told you it happened this morning while I was in my office just wasting time scrolling through the TikTok machine. And I said, that'll preach. But sometimes I'll get a fragment, and I'll put a note in my phone, and I'll say, that'll preach. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know what it's going to turn into. I don't know how long the sermon's going to be. It's a thought. It's a fragment. It's a piece. And then I'll be talking to one of you. Or I'll read your Facebook. You think I'm preaching from the Bible. Sometimes I'm preaching from the book of face. Because I'll read your Facebook and I'll, I'll say, oh, that'll preach as well. And I'll add to that first note that I made. And then at some point along the way, God gives up me enough to fragment. He gives me enough leftovers. He gives me enough pieces that I can see that there was a picture all along. And I didn't see the picture because I was too close to it. All I could see was a piece here and a piece there. And once it's all brought together, I can see God was building a picture. And all I could see was Pete. I'm preaching better than you're shouting this morning. But you got to have patience to build it. Jesus told the disciples... Look back. Look, look back. Tell, tell your neighbor, say, remember. 
He said, remember, remember the fragments, the last time you was desperate? Remember the last time you had a problem? So I want to show you a picture. I want to, I found a picture online. And it's a picture of Jesus, right? And he's on the boat. He said, remember Remember. You got fingernails? Take that cellophane off that thing for me. Don't take all day doing it. I, I told you I got some pieces missing. Next Sunday I'll probably have a few more. I keep talking. All right. Thank you. I thought I could do it, but I don't have any fingernails because I got fingernails missing. So Jesus said, Hey, remember, you're on a boat, you're in a storm, you're going through hell. Don't you remember the last time you went through this? Don't you remember what I did for you? And so I, I want to remember the great things he's done. And I saw this picture several weeks ago, and I thought it was a really great reminder of how Jesus calms our storms, and he's always there for us in the midnight hour. So I went to Amazon and I found the exact same picture, right? And I bought it. Isn't it something? Ain't it pretty? So I thought I'd bring the picture to church, and I'd find a place maybe out here to hang it, and all of you can remember with me all the things that God has... Hang on a second. Wait a minute, y'all. I think I got a defective Jesus picture. Why, why does my Jesus picture look like pieces? I, I think I might have to send this back. This is messed up because I, I paid for this. And what I got's broken. It's, it's brand new. I didn't buy this at a yard sale. I went to Amazon. This is ridiculous. I bought a Jesus picture, and this ain't what I was picturing. I was picturing this, and what I got was pieces. Maybe I need to send it back. Amazon's got a good return policy. What do you do when the pieces in your hand don't match the, piece, the picture that's in your head? What, what do you do when you've got an image in your mind but what you have to work with are pieces? Sometimes in life, we got a picture of what we think God's going to do for us. Some of you had a picture that by now you'd be married. Oh, yeah. And what was that going to look like? What was that stud muffin going to look like? Oh, yeah, he was going to be tall, dark, and handsome. Mm. 
look over at that thing set beside of you and he's not tall not dark and if bald is beautiful then he's still handsome <laughs> you got an image in your mind I'm about to marry, there's Carrie sitting up there, hi Carrie, I'm about, to marry, I'm about to marry them. And when you get ready to get married, you've got this picture of what marriage looks like. You've got an image that you think God has given you. That's it. By the way, the first year of marriage, this is it. This is what the first 12 months of marriage looks like. Most of you are sitting here this morning confused with life because you're living in the difference between the picture and the peace. You are trying in real time to figure out this and all you're looking at is this. No wonder you're confused. You're looking at this saying, what am I supposed to do with this? What do you do when you have a picture of being a parent? And you're like, it's going to be great. I'm going to raise them in church. I'm going to instill the fear of the Lord in them. I'm going to raise them in a secluded environment. I'm going to keep them away from all of Pharaoh's children and never eat the table of Nebuchadnezzar. And I will teach them the fear and admonition of the Lord. And they will grow up to prophesy and do great things for the Lord. And then God gives you one of these. Hello, church. Everybody wants to raise Peter, but they think of preaching Peter. They forget before Peter preached, Peter lopped people's ears off and cussed out little children. That was a piece of who Peter was going to become. See, God will show you a picture and hand you. He will show you a picture and hand you a piece. Mm. The completed version of your greatest desire always starts with a piece. And if you wait for God to give you the fully assembled picture, you're always going to be waiting. Because God does not deliver His promises to our life fully formed. It always comes in pieces. There is always assembly required. And when we realize that the picture doesn't look the same in the pieces, sometimes we want to take it back to God and say, God, this is defective. This ain't what I wanted. And what I have found out is that a lot of times people give up on their selves, they give up on their dreams, they give up on their vision, they give up on their calling because they were seeing the picture and they weren't expecting it to come in pieces and sometimes it takes so long to put the pieces together that we lose because it takes so long to make the pieces fit in the right place. And we wanted the picture, and God gave us pieces. 
Jesus said, look back. Jesus said, look back. Why is Jesus want to look back? Michelle, why is, why is Jesus want to look back? Why, is, why does he say remember? Don't, don't you get it? Don't, don't you get it? Don't you remember? Why? Why is it so important for them to look back? They're arguing over bologna sandwiches. They're arguing over six-cent Subway. Why is Jesus using this as a teaching moment when it's something so small? Why, why does Jesus say, look back? Because Jesus wants them to remember. Not just remember what Jesus did. Remember, he didn't say remember how Lazarus came out of the tomb. He didn't say, remember how the man with the withered hand stretched. He didn't say, remember the leopards that was cleansed. He could have said any of the, he, he could have said any of those things, but he picked out two things, specifically two things. Do you remember when I fed the 5,000? Do you remember when I fed the 4,000? How many fragments? Because those were the only two miracles where there were fragments involved, but it was also the only two miracles that the disciples put their hands on. Here's what he wants. He said, look back. Remember, remember, remember. Remember that this is not the first time you have held the pieces of a miracle in your hand and did not know what you were holding on to my God in heaven. Because until it gets put together... It all looks like pieces. And Jesus wanted them to realize that this is not the first time you have been holding on to the pieces of a miracle. That's why they ran when Jesus got crucified. Jesus was doing exactly what he came to do. What he said he was going to do. And they ran. Why? Because... They couldn't see the big picture in the pieces. So they got terrified and ran from the very thing that Jesus came to do. And in life, we'll get stuck in a place, and we're looking at our pieces. And we'll say, well, that's not very big, and that's not very much, and I can't do much with this. And so, we try to fix it ourselves. I want to show you another picture. And this picture was painted in the 19th century by a man called Edgar Garcia Martinez. He painted a picture in the 19th century of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What he thinks he looks like. And his granddaughter, in the 2000s, had possession of it, and she donated it to a museum of historical religious artifacts. When they found out that it was there, they wanted to come and take pictures of it and write an expose on it. So in 2010, some people came to take a picture of it, but they found out that something had happened to the picture. What had happened was someone had gotten paint on the picture and they tried to remove the paint 
that got splattered on it. And as a result, they also removed some of the original paint as well. The girl that was responsible for it was a curator of the museum, and she was in big trouble whenever somebody found out that somebody had messed up the painting. And she had a loving grandmother who did not want her to get in trouble. So Grandma decided to fix the picture of Jesus. And as a result, the world received what has been affectionately labeled Monkey Jesus. Because Grandma tried to cover up the mistake of her granddaughter and fix it herself. And as a result, she was trying to fix the image of Christ. And what ends up happening is when we try to fix things ourselves, even when we have good intentions, it always gets out of hand. So what I want to share with you for the rest of the time I have with you this morning is a scripture out of 2 Kings chapter 4. A widow came to Elisha. She told him that she was going to be homeless, destitute. Her husband had died, and he owed money. And in those days, they didn't take your credit score and file bankruptcy and take you to court. They, they took your children. And she came to the man of God and said, I'm going to be homeless and destitute and poor. My husband, who loved the Lord, has died, and the creditors are coming to take my children. And I'm going to be all alone. And in those days, a woman could not work. She couldn't go get a job at Walmart as a greeter. She was literally going to be homeless. And Elisha said, calm down, calm down. Let's think about it. Let's fix this. Let's, let's think of a way for you to survive. He says, what do you have in your house? And the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 2 what do you have in your house she says nothing at all why, why did she say nothing at all because she would have already given everything trying to save her house trying to save her children so when she says nothing at all she literally means she, her furniture has gone her clothing is gone she, she has nothing she has nothing left in the house because she, she's desperate and desperate people do desperate things and she's trying to save her children and she says nothing at all I've given it all the creditors have taken it all and it still wasn't enough my husband owed more than what our stuff was worth nothing at all except a little jar of oil Nothing at all except, 
Let's get in the mindset of this woman. She is so desperate, she has gotten rid of everything she thinks is valuable. That means if it's left in the house, she don't think it's worth any. She's already went through the cupboards, got all the uh, Ray done, and sold it on eBay. She's went out in the garage and put all of her husband's snap-on tools on Facebook Marketplace. She has gotten rid of everything that has value in her eyes. And there's one thing still in the house. And if it's still in the house, it seems inconsequential, too small to be any value. I've got rid of all the important things. All I have left doesn't matter. All I've got left is too small. All I, got, all I have left can't help me. Nothing at all. Except a flask of oil. Nothing at all. God, I don't have anything left. Except. I've lost everything. I've messed up so bad, I've got nothing left. Except stuff that I don't see how they could help my situation. I've got nothing at all. Do you know how many times you have held the fragments of your miracle? And you did not recognize what was in your hand because it seemed like it was too small to matter. Some of you sitting under the sound of my voice, your relationship is in pieces. Your finances are in pieces. Your faith is in pieces and you don't think you've got enough of anything and the Lord sent me here to tell you this morning that that little piece that you've still been clinging on to and you think is inconsequential and you don't think it values enough for you to overcome you've been holding the pieces of your miracle this whole time and you never recognized it because you didn't think it was important enough but God said I didn't give you the whole picture I give it to you in pieces and I'm waiting for you to assemble it and put it all together and if you've got the patience and if you've got the stick to this I've given you everything you need what do you have left in your house I've got the pieces of a miracle I've got the pieces of a breakthrough 
Some of you have got the pieces of your healing and you've been walking around thinking you don't have anything. Some of you have the pieces of your marriage and you've just been thinking that you can't ever have what somebody else has. And I came here this morning to tell somebody that what you're holding on to is everything you need. You don't think it's enough because you're looking for the whole picture, but God's given it to you in tall pieces and he's waiting for you to assemble it all. You've got everything you need as long as Jesus is on your boat you've got everything you need so I want to give you a word of advice right now bring your broken pieces to Jesus right now I'm done preaching I'm through I'm finished get up out of your seat and bring your broken pieces to Jesus Bring your broken pieces to Jesus. Hey, hey, hey. My God, my God, my God, my God.
this altar what God is doing is giving you the pieces you think you don't have enough you think it seems small that widow said everything I have I've already given to this all I have left is this little piece and it doesn't seem like it's enough but God wants you to know piecing all your stuff together and these pieces of this puzzle laying on this altar that's exactly what it looks like whenever one of you comes up to this altar he's putting pieces in place 
He's piecing your brokenness together. He's piecing your trouble together. He's piecing your hurt back together. Every one of you comes to the altar every time, and this is what it looks like in the Spirit. You're picking up pieces that you did not have, and He's putting the pieces in the right place. Every one of you that I gave a puzzle piece to, I want you to hold it up. And I want you to say, God, what I have is enough. You need to know, I didn't give you the whole bag. I didn't give you the whole box. I didn't give you every piece. But the piece you got, you, it, and God, it's enough. You've got everything you need. Because if you needed something else, God says, I give you strength for the day. If you needed it, he would have provided it. What you have is enough. I don't want you to leave here feeling broken this morning, discouraged, upset, bewildered, befuddled. I want you to leave confident with your head held high and say, God's given me everything I needed. I, I, every broken path, all I got is a little piece, but it is enough. All I've got is fragments and pieces of the puzzle. And, and sometimes there's things in me that's missing and disjointed. And, how to, and I used to be able to do this and now I can't. But it doesn't matter because what I have is enough. And if I need something else, if I need another piece, I'll come to the altar. And God will put the right piece in the right place. Because my every need. He will supply. Father, in the name of your son, Jesus, I'm believing that homes are being restored in this altar this morning. I know there are people holding on to things that they never saw as valuable until this sermon this morning. And I want you to take these fragmented, broken fragments and pieces, and I want you to show them how to use them as they begin to believe that what they have is enough. We're not broken people. We just have broken pictures. And you've given us everything we need. And our faith and the pieces that remain will someday show the picture of your faithfulness, your goodness, and all you are to me. In Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord. Amen. God bless you. Promise of victory. If there is like